outward uh, show, I guess, is a better way of putting it, a little outward show about prayer. Um, they, they, uh, my sister's high school graduation in Cumberland County, Tennessee, many moons ago, um, there was an atheist family that was a part of the uh, services there, part of the commencement ceremonies, and they had said something along the lines of not wanting prayer at the um, at the high school graduation event. No, no benediction, no whatever. Uh, so they got around it by. Uh, a student-led prayer at one junction in the um, in the ceremony there. The because uh, there was a, again an atheist student, atheist parents, and they had a petition for no prayer. But because you know, so the school system was basically they felt bound not to have prayer instead of just telling them don't pray. If you're atheist, let us pray for somebody that you don't believe in. But anyway. So, uh, but one of the, um, I guess the valedictorian got up, and at the end of his speech, he he took his hat off and he led, quote unquote, in the in the Lord's Prayer. Well, the Lord's Prayer is really found in uh, Matthew chapter seven. I'm sorry, John chapter seventeen. That's where he is praying to the Father. We hear his words. He's praying for us. That is words that he prayed, and and. And, he, you know, whether that's prayer in the garden, of course, we hear other times of, of things he prayed for in the garden of Gethsemane. But this is the model prayer. He's teaching his disciples here in Matthew chapter 6. And, um, of course, he talks about, um, you know, giving. And we'll deal with that another time. <laughs> but Matthew chapter 6, verse number 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. We haven't gotten to the model part yet, but I just want to park, park right there in just a minute, just make comment that oftentimes, <clears throat> you know, men in a congregation, we as a congregation on Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, and, and there's a couple of us that pray audibly, when we go into the men's prayer room, we pray, several of us pray audibly. And when we pray audibly, just being cautious not to get in this attitude of praying to be heard by men. We need to just, if we pray audibly, have that consciousness about us that we pray to be heard of God and not of men. Because that's exactly what he's talking about too as an hypocrite. They love standing and they simply uh, pray to be seen of men, and I've seen that so many times in services, you know. But again, as the Bible says here in verse number 5, they have their reward. It says, verse number 6, But when thou prayest, here's, here is, uh, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And, um, you know, uh, being the crowd that's here, <laughs> I use that term crowd loosely, being those that are here and teaching us and singing about prayer, 
is oftentimes, you know, the devil wants to jump on your shoulder and he wants to discourage you. He wants to lie to you and he wants to challenge you and he wants to, he wants to accuse you of not being a child of God. Of course, there are some, some um, there are some indicators that we are a child of God. One, his spirit bears witness with their spirit, as we, we learn of in Romans chapter 8. And then um, another, time, another way is correction. God, you know, he, ch- he chastens his children. If you're, a bast- if you're a bastard, not a son, then he doesn't chasten you. He doesn't correct you. But if you're a son, he does correct you. So there's another indicator. So do you have the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? There's one indicator. <laughs> have you been corrected for your wrongdoing as a child of God? There's a second indicator. And another indicator that we can point to here is verse number six is answered prayer. When you, as a child, approach the Father, we're going to see that we go to the Father in a moment, but when you as a child go to the Father in secret, the conversation is just between you two, and you pray in secret, and nobody else knows what you've prayed for. Have you seen it answered? Like we referred to, what, Wednesday night maybe it was? We referred, or maybe it was last Sunday night, I can't remember, maybe Sunday night. We referred to George Mueller, who had a prayer journal, and he wrote down his prayers, and he wrote down the answers to the prayers, and he had over 5,000 he could account for that was, that was answered, and um, several of them in that same day. Uh, I think a lot of it, maybe it come to me last night, because Lisa had some issues, uh, her heart, basically, from what I know about AFib and her mother and her mother's AFib problems, her heart was just all over the place as far as the heart beats. It was going anywhere from, you know, 107 all the way down to 97 in just a matter of seconds. And then um, it got up to, what, 116, 117, 18, up in that area, and then way back down, and she was just feeling terrible and talking about going to the heart hospital. And uh, so we, you know, we're sitting there trying to figure things out, you know, one thing or another. I just, uh, I had started praying. I prayed, but then silently, but then I prayed, you know, openly with her. And, uh, and it just wasn't a few minutes. It settled in, settled down, and and she found relief. And then she said, thank the Lord, and I said, that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> and we took the time to go back to God and give him the praise and him the glory. And But there's answered prayer, and I don't say that to point anything toward me. I'm just saying the Bible says that we can believe it and we can practice it, and if we will do this, we will see as a child of God, prayer is answered, but not to bring attention to ourselves, uh, just like the hypocrite did. They have their reward, you know, to, to bring attention to themselves, but to go privately and to go quietly to the Father as a son and then see the prayers answered. It's, it's real. 
We can believe God for it. Just take him at his word. Take it at face value. He says to do it, you do it, and you see prayers answered, then there's another indicator that you are his child because he loves you. And we're going to see a little bit more of that here in just a minute. Uh, and he will reward you openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do over and over and over and over and over again. Um, they think that they uh, shall be heard, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So there's no reason to go, and I'm not talking, it's not talking like the other example in the Word of God when prayer comes, when the uh, woman went to the unjust judge repetitiously. Uh, it's not talking about that going back time and again for the same request. It's talking about repetitiously. It's talking about just repeating themselves just to be heard. They think that they be, must be heard before much speaking, just on and on and on and on and on, the same thing. God already knows what you're, what you're going to ask for, what you have need of before you ever ask him, but he wants to be asked. <laughs> It's, it's, it's interesting, and I think that it, it, he, you know, there's a certain humility in asking, and he wants that. You see, you see it, you can practice it among your children too, especially as they get a little bit older in the teenage years, and they're a little proud, them boys, whew, they're rough. Them boys get proud, and you know what, you know where they're headed, and you know what they're going to need, and you don't say nothing. As a, as a parent that can, you know, you just make them learn a lesson. You know, I don't need your help, Dad. Okay, son. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'll do it myself. Okay, I'll figure out a way. Okay. And you just let them do it themselves, let them figure out a way, and then they get a lesson in humility when they have to go. Dad, <laughs> you were right. Ooh, that kills them. Can I have your help? Ugh, it just really hit, you know. And the same thing, he already knows what we have need of. There's no reason to, in, in our prayers, not, not the fact that we go to him for the same subject, the same need several times. It's just that while we are praying, like he says, standing in the streets, and broadcasting, but they, they, they just vainly repeat themselves in their prayer, thinking that that's going to work. It says, Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. And here we're trying to get to verse number 9. All right, here's the model. Verses 9 through 13. We'll break this down just a little bit, and as the Lord would guide in this. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is or, or, done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and grab two more verses. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye 
forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, after this manner pray ye our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. So, you know, there is in Malachi chapter number 2, I'll just read the reference. Uh, Malachi chapter 2 verse number 10, uh, it reads, Have we not all one Father? Have not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our father? So he's referring, making reference, an Old Testament reference to God being the father. But he makes reference to God being the father of creation. So all of creation can call God the, their father in the fact that he is the, their creator. And only in that relationship he is their creator. So... So, even when the lost person who is not a son comes to pray to God, they can address him as father because he is their creator, but not as a son. As a son, when we approach God, then there is a special relationship there because of the sonship that we have with the father. Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 1, hold your place in Matthew chapter 6, because that's where we're going to be most of the time, or you can write the reference down and look at it later. Ephesians chapter 1, and we see this with, uh, with uh, the, the sonship, a special relationship to the Father. Uh, blessed be, uh, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So, we uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in in Jesus Christ, because it says there in verse number five, by Jesus Christ to Himself, He has predestinated us unto the adoption of children. And uh, the word adoption, I've been taught that uh, uh, relates to son placement. All right, a, a placement, a placement in the home, a placement in the family. And then in Galatians chapter four and verse number six. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we're his sons. And as a child of God, of course, we could reference John chapter 1. I'm not going to do that because that's where Brother Glenn is teaching in the Sunday school. But John chapter 1 talks about becoming the sons of God, even to them which believe. And so, so that being said, a special relationship as a son so turn to Luke chapter 11, and we see this, and we've made reference to this uh, uh, before, Luke chapter 11, and again, here is uh, it, uh, the model prayer in verse number 2, when you pray, our, it's a little bit different than Matthew's account, I will read it, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day. So Matthew says, give us this day. Luke, Luke's account is day by day, and we're going to see that in a second, our daily bread. 
and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So our sins, and it doesn't say debt uh, like Matthew does, but it says sins. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's where he, he ends it there. But then looking down here in verse number 11 of Luke 11, if a son shall ask, notice the word son, not the heathen, not the, not the lost, not the creation, but a son. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? For if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And so, how much more? I like that. There's a song that's uh, by the Goodmans, How Much More? And it deals with Matthew chapter 6 and, and that, that, that phrase there, how much more? See, he blesses the creation. He reigns on the just and the unjust, okay, when we need rain. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, people look at that reference there and, and think about rain being um, in the negative context, like storms, but, uh, but rain is a good context. You know, I mean, God blesses creation, and the just and the unjust get the same rain for the same crops. But he blesses his children more. How much more shall he give? Of course, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. But we have a heavenly Father, and we need to go to him as a father. Oftentimes, you know, you know. of course, my dad's not in a place uh, that he can be. Of course, Brother Hall, uh, you know, is really kind of sort of physically impaired. But, you know, there, if there's times that we could go, and we have gone to him, and could go to him even now if we had a need, my children know that they can come to me, and if I can, and I appreciate what my brother said. Um, he said, talking to his son, my nephew, he said, you need to have somebody in your life that you could call up and they would respond at a, at a given, that they would be able to come, or they would come if they were at all able to. He says, and he told his son, he goes, as long as I'm alive, you can call on me. And if I'll be, if I can get there, I'll be there and be there for you. And he goes, he goes, and I feel confident that if I ever call, and he told his son, and he told me this when he was visiting. He said, he goes, I feel confident that if 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 there's any person in my life that if I had a need and I needed him there, he would come if at all possible. He goes, that would be my brother. And I thought, well, that's good. And, and then uh, Lisa's sister's husband was in a car wreck. And uh, uh, he was uninjured, but the very first thought when the dust settled was to call me. And I went because uh, he had boys with him, and they were little at the time. And, and so, so that's just that kind of person. But we can go to our father that way. How much more does he love you? How much more does he love me? As a son, we can go to him, and we know that he hears and we know that he answers if we go to him in secret. We know that he answers. We, we have that relationship. We know that he's able. <laughs> when our earthly fathers sometimes aren't able to, to provide the need, we know that he is able to provide the need. So 
Our Father which art in heaven, I'm not going to deal with it, but we understand that he's holy and we understand his, his position as God. And we went through that on Wednesday nights. Hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name. All right? So, uh, it's thy kingdom come. Verse number 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So there's two kingdoms here, and I, I was thinking of some other people that might be here that might, and oftentimes this is one of those things that uh, we, we fail to understand and we fail to know about the kingdom of God, or just touch of it. So in, in the word of God, there's the kingdom of God mentioned and the kingdom of heaven mentioned. And when Jesus Christ come, uh, and John the Baptist, both of them come on the scene preaching, uh, John the Baptist, verse number 2 of chapter 3 of Matthew, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus did the same thing. He come forth preaching repentance and saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's see, that was after um, verse number 17 of chapter 4. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's a kingdom of heaven, and then in other places we read about the kingdom of God. So there's two different kingdoms. Uh, some people will preach it. Some denominations preach it or whatever. People will preach it. The same. It's the same, but it's not. Uh, I've always been taught that the kingdom of God is within us. Again, Matthew, being a Jew, and he was writing primarily of these four Gospels, he deals with the Jews a whole lot in his writings. So he is preaching about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they were looking for, G for the Messiah to set up an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here on this earth. The kingdom of God is within us. And we've got scriptures to back that up in Luke chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke 17 and verse number 20, we see about this kingdom of God. Luke 17, verse number 20. And when he demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. So, so there's that. The kingdom of God was in us. We are birthed into his family, and if you want to put it that way, uh, the kingdom of God, you know, Christ in us, the hope of glory, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us, the kingdom of God is within us. We can go worldwide. I was thinking about a fellow that I know who's now in the Philippines and in a relationship... <laughs> And he was given a housewarming party today, Philippine time. And he posted pictures. And um, I preached his mama's and his daddy's funeral. His daddy's funeral was the first funeral I ever preached. But um, he, he knows about the things of God. He, in fact, he... He's looked into the things of God. He seemed to be on the verge of, of becoming a child of God at his daddy's funeral. 
Daddy's funeral? I guess it was his daddy's funeral. Maybe it was, I think it was his daddy's funeral. Anyway, and he corresponds and keeps up, and he probably has listened to some of the services from here in time to time, but uh, I just, uh, I forget where I'm getting off on that, but the kingdom of God within us, he just, uh, I don't even know where I was going with this. The kingdom of God in us and trying to think about him. Let's think about him today. Oh, that's right. We can go worldwide. And he's now worldwide. You know, he's living over there and, and, and seeing that he's now living over there, then I thought about men that we know it from that Island Ford supports. I was looking up the little province that he's living in because he, he put that in his post. And I thought, you know, I could get a hold of a brother or I could go to the Philippines and there are churches there that we could go into even though they're foreign nationals and we could go into and we would experience the same worship because we're worshiping the same God and that's the kingdom even though we're not his kingdom is not on earth we're going to see the here and men that's the kingdom of heaven that's coming to the earth the kingdom of God the the family that if you want to put it this way the kingdom of God is here on this earth because it's in us and we can fellowship one with another and and just it's unexplainable it's just there's a relationship that we all have as a children of God that's out there, and I could get a hold of and thought about getting a hold of men that's there to go to him with the witness again because he's been witnessed to before. I've witnessed to him, and other people have, and, and like I said, he, he knows that it's faith in Christ, but to see his life, he's just not there. You know, and so again, we can go worldwide and we can experience and understand the kingdom of God because it's within us. And there's a difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God, we just said in verse 21, it's within us. And in John chapter 18, we read about the kingdom. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven, but we see in John chapter 18 that there is a separate kingdom by the way that it reads here, verse number 33, in the discourse between Pilate and Jesus Christ. Verse number 33, Then Pilate entered into the, into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee, or tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have declared unto me, uh, have, deliver, have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Okay? So there is a kingdom of heaven that's beyond this world. Okay? Kingdom of God is within us. Kingdom of heaven is beyond this world. And he is going to set up an earthly kingdom in this world for a thousand years. You know, but the, there is a kingdom of heaven that is not of this world. He is king of kings and lord of lords like we read about in another passage of Scripture. 
But they were looking for the earthly kingdom, and there is going to be an earthly kingdom set up. And that's what they're praying about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Again, that's in earth as it is in heaven. And that is, again, Matthew's talking, Matthew talking to the Jewish people that, um, you know, to get, you know, they were looking for the Messianic kingdom. And, of course, we know that, that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. It's a heavenly kingdom. But the kingdom of God is within us, as we read there in Luke 17. Now, our daily, our daily provision, we see our daily provision in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Of course, what we just read there, it was a little bit different there in Luke. It was day by day, as, as Luke put it there. Let me turn, try to find it again. Luke 11, Matthew, Mark, come on now. Luke says, how did he put it? Oh, come on. There it is. Um, give us day by day our daily bread. So Matthew says, give us this day our daily bread. But I like Luke's version of that in the fact it is a day by day. It's a daily provision. Give us this day. And tomorrow you'd pray the same thing. Give us this day. And the next day you'd pray the same thing. Give us this day. And I have made reference in the in uh, with the Old Testament scripture, when they when the manna would fall from heaven, you know they would go out. God provided for the whole nation of Israel in the wilderness. God gave them manna in the wilderness, and He gave them instructions to go out and pick up this amount for each individual in your household. And if they picked up more <laughs> than what the household needed, it rotted. They had to go out the next day. You wasn't going to get any more than what you needed. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily provision. You know, and he's talking about this in the context of prayer. Yes, we can... We can... Rewind. In the context of prayer, we need to go to him daily in prayer... But in the context of the example here, what are we going to him for? We're going to him for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice it said bread there. It doesn't say pastries. It doesn't say donuts from Daylight Donuts. It doesn't say, <laughs> it doesn't say give us this day our daily state. No, that, that's, that's, we can live on bread because he said... You know, doth man live by bread alone? But he goes and talks about the word of God there in that, that passage of scripture. But the fact is, you can live on bread. The, the former, you know, the jails used to, you know, bread and water for the prisoners. It wasn't extra. They didn't get fat on it necessarily, but it sustained them. Bread and water. If you wanted meat, then you stayed out of jail. <laughs> I mean, now, and I know a woman that was over over the dietary section in a jail in North Carolina, and she she had a budget, and she said, "Why do they need coffee? <laughs> it gives them no nutritional value in coffee." So she cut out the coffee, and that like, all that coffee money went back into the budget, and they complained and grumbled. And she said, "You want coffee? Stay out of jail." I mean, she is tough. 
And she thought she, she was about that tall. Uh, but she had a mean-looking husband. He's a big, big, big. Well, we got one coming in here. Got two coming in here. All right. <laughs> Come on in. We're going through the Lord's Prayer. And so Matthew chapter 6 is where we're at. And our and the, the model prayer, I said the Lord's Prayer, that's what people know it by, the model prayer. Uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is, is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's where we got down to. And so give us this day our daily bread. And again, it's a, it's a daily provision. You can live, you can live by bread. It is, it's, it's what my need is. And like it said back up there in verse, um, verse number 8, Be not therefore likened to them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of. You know, sometimes it's not all our desires, but what we have need of. And we, we can reference there back over to uh, Luke chapter 11 when it talked about um, the things that we as a, as a earthly father gives our children. If ye being evil, uh, being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit? That's extra, but he gives us our needs, our daily bread, our daily sustenance. He gives us extra with the Holy Spirit. He gives us extra as his children, but he's going to give us and provide our needs. But we're to pray for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. As Luke put it, give us day by day our daily bread. Like the manna in the wilderness, they went out daily and picked up what they needed for that day. And God blessed them in that. And God, you know, sustained them in that daily provision. And so they were in the daily, that, that gave them their daily provision uh, if they if they picked up any extra, it rotted, and so that's the way. And again, in the context of this model prayer, we're to go to Him daily and pray for our needs. He knows what we have need of before we pray, but we ask Him daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Again, our daily needs, our daily provision, our daily sustenance, just to meet our needs day by day. I th- and I was as I was contemplating this and praying this morning and the Lord directed me into this I was just thinking about you know the world that we live in today and times brother uh, brother Glenn raised up in the 30s back in the depression the times of the depression you know and I've heard stories by men you know in his when in, through their childhood as they was raised up I've heard stories about God's provision. When people would stand, you know, looking for work and there was no work to be had. And, uh, you know, there was a song and uh, it was kind of written. It was written by Jimmy Davis. And I don't know if he was, he was one of those that raised up in the Depression. He was governor of Louisiana twice. He wrote, You Are My Sunshine. He actually sang his way through college. He would just stand on the street corner and sing and pass the hat, and that's how he worked his way through college, singing on the street corner. But, um, but he, he writes a song about two glasses of buttermilk. It's played on the radio station 
two glasses of buttermilk and how that and then uh, how that this uh, this traveler come through. Uh, he asked for some food. The woman didn't have any food, but she said, "I got some fresh buttermilk." So he drank two glasses of buttermilk and was on his way. And then um, years went by, and she needed to go to the hospital. Uh, it come time to pay the bill. She didn't have the bill, uh, have the money. She went down to the office to to settle up or to see about the bill, and uh, they handed her a piece of paper and says, "Paid in full by two glasses of buttermilk." <laughs> so anyway. But uh, there was another song that uh, it was supposed to be based on a true story by the Cockman family there on the radio station, talking about angels unawares, um, how that uh, this couple come through. It was in the Great Depression. They, you know, they had they had the farm, so they had some provision, but it was hard to feed. You know, the, just the number of mouths that they fed. But they they yet invited the strangers in. They fed the strangers upon leaving. The strangers blessed the home. And then there was a little low, low place in the road, and they never come up on the other, other, other side of the low place. But God blessed them in that the whole time of the Depression, they never, they never went hungry of their own family, and they never, they always shared and always had to spare for strangers. Um, so again, in the world that we might be facing one of these days, I could just see how quickly it could happen. Things are just... And I know, I think, brother, just a little bit, some pieces that I've picked up that um, that Rich keeps up with the things and foresees some things in society and societal and world situations. And, uh, you know, I can see just how quickly things could happen to the place where a lot of people, we, God's people, God's children, would have to get back to that place. And I, and, I, and I stand and testify that we can trust God for our daily needs. We need to ask for them. So, but that there again, we live in a lay, that's Laodicean. So a lot of people preach. I've heard it preached most of the time in my, my life. I've heard anybody that deals with, deals with the seven churches in the beginning of Revelation As church ages, okay, if you want to put it that way, in typology, as church ages, I appreciate Brother uh, Farrell Shepherd, and he did it while I was still a member there at Island Ford. He actually preached it, and it's true, they preached it the way it was written, but uh, they didn't. He didn't tip, uh, typify. Uh, or put it into any church age. He just he just dealt with it. These churches as it was written to the to the local body, the local assembly, and it, and it's it it can be so many applications there as well. But in dealing with it in the church ages, like some people uh, want to preach it, and if there is such a thing as some people want to preach it, because the way that it's written. These were individual churches and individual congregations all at the same period of time, okay? There was a church at Ephesus. There was a church at Thyatira. There was a church at Laodicea. And so he's writing to these individual churches that were all churches at the same time on the earth. And he deals with them with the subjects at hand. But a lot of preachers of the ages, again, want to 
to use these seven churches and go into a church age, and you can kind of see it. I know a preacher that preached a message, and it's a real good message. And he preached a message entitled, Why I Choose to Live in Philadelphia, based on the Philadelphian church, and he, he was using it as a church age, which was in the scriptures here, Philadelphia was the church right prior to Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And his premise was that in his lifetime, as he was a young man, we went from the Philadelphian church age now to the Laodicean church age. Again, you think about probably the change came in the 40s and the 50s in the Industrial Revolution because think about prior to the Industrial Revolution in our, in our nation's history, then when people were in the Depression, when people were asking God to give them the, this day their daily bread, if they were to survive you know, starvation in the, in the Great Depression here, then... You know, the Philadelphian church age, uh, so he knows, thy, he knows thy works. Verse number 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, uh, and no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength, and thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And so he deals with, and all these churches here, he deals with a positive and some negative, some just no, pretty much positive. But he gets, think about the industrial church age. I mean, the industrial, the industrial age here in our nation. You went from the 30s and the Great Depression and people struggling to find work and struggling to feed their families to then through the 40s and the Great War and, or the World War II and then into the 50s when in, industry just boomed, you know, and all the, all the things that boomed. And I know men that went to, you know, family members, that, that went to the larger cities. My, my grandfather went from Knoxville, Tennessee to, to Dearborn, Michigan. He worked in Detroit for Mack Truck, and he retired from there. But again, that was the 50s. He went there because of the Industrial uh, Revolution, Industrial Boom, and to, to gain money and things. But that caused people to forget God. That caused people to say, like the Laodicean church age, um, here in verse number 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. All right? That's where people got, why do I need to go to the church house anymore? I don't have to pray for my daily need because I can work a 40-hour week. I, I've got a retirement coming to me working for this company. You know, I've got a house. I'm able to buy a house. You know, where I wasn't able to 10 years ago in the 30s, but now in the 40s and the 50s, I can buy a house. You know, so I don't need God anymore. So they stop, you know, we see that falling away out of the churches from what they were in in the 30s and 40s, we, the, the 50s and 60s, we see a great falling away. I don't need God anymore. I don't need to ask Him for my daily bread anymore. Because I, by, you know, I've got a good job. I, I make a paycheck. I, I've got retirement. 
and, and there's where society has gotten to be. And so, so it really preaches as a church age, if you want to put it that way, because we see the, the falling way from the 60s into the 70s. And I remember growing up in the early 70s, how that even then, you know, you could, through the summer especially, probably about year, year round, if you wanted to be in church, but definitely in the summertime, you wanted to be in church any given night of the week, you could go because there's a revival going on somewhere in some church. And vacation Bible schools was happening, you know, they were going to open up the doors of the, of the churches to bring the children in because they're out of school and they're going to try to reach them. And it was a big, big thing. And, but, we, but then it's fallen away now, these last, even beyond that. And they go out and, and, and to see more and more, they don't need God. Secularism is a religion. Depending on their self, I don't need God. I have need of nothing. And, you know, he's talking to the, you know, and he's talking to the church here. I know thy works that thou art, that, they're, they're, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that's exactly where people are. They're, they're in need of nothing. Going back to the give us this day our daily bread in the model prayer, this is how you're supposed to pray. Lord, you need me for your daily needs. You need me for your daily provisions. Ask me for your daily needs and daily provisions, and I will be there and give them to you. And so... So it is our daily provision. We're asking for our daily provision and realizing, even though verse number 7, he knows, uh, yeah, verse number 8, he knows what we have need of before we ask him. He still wants to be asked. And it is our needs and not our wants or not any extra dainties, if you will. He says bread. And we're to be satisfied with food and raiment, another scripture says. To be content, the Bible says there, with food and raiment, content. And if we can be content with food and raiment, then, you know, that's where we ought to be. And, of course, throughout Matthew chapter 6, again, going back to the father part, and I know I've rehearsed this to many of you, but growing up with a split home and, and dad not, all, you know, dad, my time around dad was every other weekend and two weeks out of the year. And so, yes, I had a father. Yes, he loves me, and so on and so forth. But he's busy trying to, you know. And in reference to a secular song, shame on me, but in reference to a secular song in uh, Cats in the Cradle, you know, Basically, history repeating itself. Dad gets busy, and you know we'll get together. The kid wants dad in his life, and oh, dad's busy. I, I'll pitch ball with you when I'm not so busy, basically. And then when the dad's old, wants the son in his life. Well, dad, I, you know that, that kind of thing. And and I've seen that in my dad in my life. And even though I tried to combat, I still failed in that. A whole lot. I see my children trying to overcome that. And when I see my children trying to overcome that by being there for their children in all their events or whatever, or create, you know, put them in this, put them in that, I'm thinking, 
they're trying to overcompensate, but then yet, uh, you know, they're they're burning candles at both ends, and uh, so on and so forth. But but we're to to ask for our daily provision, and then it says and in verse number twelve. So that's a a conjunction there that ties things together. So the word and you you you're thinking how is that tied in with verse number eleven? When he's asking, give us our day, uh, this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, so, uh, let me see here if I wrote that. I, I thought I was going to put that in there, and I don't guess I did. I was looking at, uh, well, let's look at our figure of our debts, and that, like, Luke said in Luke 11, in, the, in his version of the model prayer, Luke 11, he puts it this way, And forgive us our sins, for we, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So Luke, in his version of the model prayer, shows that sins, our sins are a debt. Our sins... Are a debt, and uh, so it's our daily pardon. I think there's where we're trying to get to: is the daily provision and give us this uh, this day our daily bread, and we ask Him for our daily pardon. We fail God every day, and we're to go to Him daily, even though our sins are blotted out. As a child of God, our sins are forgiven. Our sins are under the blood, and all of those aspects of where our sins are in salvation, still as a son of God, in our relationship to the Father, is to, to go to Him and ask daily. We hear, Heavenly Father, if I failed you, we, we hear men pray, and we hear men pray you know, out loud, forgive me where I have failed you. Forgive me, um, you know, if I've done anything that uh, is displeasing unto you, forgive me. I've heard, I've heard it put different ways in men's prayers. Uh, forgive me uh, for uh, sins that, that I don't know that, you know, there's a, uh, the psalmist deals with that. He's asking for, you know, Sins are sins of omission and sins of commission. Things I've done that displeases you, Father. Things that I've not done that displeases you, Father. And I stand daily asking you that you forgive me of the sins, like Luke put it, or the debts, like Matthew put it. Forgive me this, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, there, that's, an, that's a curious. Curious a curiosity there in the fact that it's almost as if it's provisional. Uh, or not provisional. Yeah. Certain provisions are set forth in there and certain things are given account. Go to verse 14. That's one reason I went ahead and read verses. We're going to get 13 in a minute. But chapter verse 14 or chapter 6. For if we forgive our trespass, if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we're to forgive men their trespasses so that our Heavenly Father will forgive our trespasses. You know, and, I, and when I was reading this and contemplating on it, it seemed to me, it come to me that I was wondering, and I'm probably pretty sure, that men have heard the gospel, men see, see their need of a Savior, see their, 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 their standing as a sinner, but when it comes down to actually getting saved, I believe based on verses 14 and 15, there could be men that will not be able to get saved because they are going to hold a grudge all the way to the end. They're, they've got ought with somebody and they are not going to forgive that person that ought. They're not going to forgive them for that trespass against them. They're going to go to the grave in bitterness and unforgiveness and when, when God shows them, they're standing, they, they will agree, I'm a sinner, God, and I know I need a Savior, God, but I'm not willing, which is a shame, I'm not willing to forgive men their trespasses against me and accept your forgiveness for my trespasses, basically. And I was wondering just how many people might have gone to the grave. And again, I mean, just based on that and just speculation on my part a whole lot, but you know, I'm trying to go back in time to, to maybe put a name and a face with, with that. Uh, and I couldn't come up with any. And I don't know that there is any that I know. But I'm sure that there's probably some that has gone to the grave just bitter, unforgiving. And because of their bitterness and their unforgiveness, they don't want to let that go. And they will go to the grave in unforgiveness, both on their part to the person that they have ought against and then God's part on theirs. They never, they, they sought forgiveness like Esau. He sought forgiveness, sought repentance. They, he just never did. Uh, sought repentance, that's the word. So people seeking forgiveness and they never receive forgiveness because they're not willing to forgive. And so... Uh, but then, let's see, where are we at? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So, again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That gives uh, an emphasis behind that forgiveness. Put it away from you. I mean, just be, be intent to put it away from you, that malice. And, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And verse number 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Uh, amen. So in James chapter 1, because the word tempted is there, and a lot of people misunderstand the words in Matthew and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We look at the book of James, James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted. Back up. Verse number 12. Let, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried. So the connotation there with the word temptation in verse number 12 goes to the, also the word that is, is tried. So blessed, you're blessed in your trials, in your temptations that way. Your trials, because it says that, that, um, that endureth these trials, that endureth these temptations. And then there is a way of escape. In other places, there's temptations that come our way, and it is a temptation. When there, with every temptation, there is a way of escape. God provides a way of escape, and you're blessed if you seek that escape and you find that escape or the trials that comes our way, and you endure those trials. You endure the temptations that come. You seek the, that way of escape, and you're blessed. But then it, some clarity there with the other temptation, the temptations that Satan puts in their paths day by day, the flesh that puts in there, explains it here in verse number 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. So over here again, in Matthew chapter 6, when it says, and lead us not into temptation, he is not going to lead you into temptation. All right, as far as being tempted to evil, he's not going to do that based on, again, rightly dividing the word of truth, comparing Scripture with Scripture based on James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither he tempteth, he, neither tempteth he any man. So when it says, but delivers, no, lead us not into temptation, um, but delivers from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that delivering from evil, again, is seeking him for that deliverance. And, and like it says there, deliverance through those, uh, those temptations, deliverance, when, and I wish I had put that. Let me see if I can find it. Let's just read James, continue to read James. Uh, verse number 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And I wanted to include verse 17 in that reference that goes back to uh, him giving us our daily bread. The Father, the Father, that's where our gifts come from, our Father, the Father of lights. Uh, let's see here. Uh, if I can find it, because it's not in my, let's see here. Uh, bear with me. Again, this wasn't, it just come to me, and I'm going to try to find it. Uh, escape, that's what I'm looking for. 
I know it's in Corinthians, but there's two Corinthians. So, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Actually, let's go to verse number 12. Wherefore, he, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taketh you, but as such as is common to man. Now, again, based on James 1, 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So it's common to man. There, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be, may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as the wise men, judge ye what I say. So he, with the temptation, look, it's common to man that we're tempted. Our flesh is drawn away of our own lust. We're tempted. We're tempted to sin. And I, I couldn't help but to go back to Job, which was last week. When we looked at Job, when God looked at Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? And so he knew that he was a, he was a, a man that eschewed evil. The Bible calls him a perfect man, an upright man. And he eschewed evil. He, he shunned evil. He, I mean, he was, he was one of these that, that practiced this daily worship. Some people said where, where, you know, when Job got the boils on him and they found him sitting in the ashes scraping his, his, his boils with a potsherd shell, He's sitting in ashes, one preacher pointed out, and several preachers since then I've heard, but I remember the first preacher I ever heard pointed out, uh, Brother Lee Davis, he's passed on now, uh, but he said, where do you think Job, uh, 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 those ashes come from? And he referred back to the sacrifices that Job had made daily for his children. He daily sacrifices, so he, he eschewed evil, he, he, he was a devout man. You know, and, and the fact that he offered up sacrifices not only for himself, but he offered up sacrifices for his children in case that they had fallen into any sin. And so where his altar was, that's where he ran to whenever he didn't know what was going on necessarily. He was going to get as close to God as he would, and where, did, where, was, his, where was his closeness to God? It was where he made sacrifice at. To God. So he went and he sat in the ashes there, the ashes of his sacrifices. To get as close to God as he can, as he could, and, and then we see him trying to figure out what was going on in the in the next several chapters throughout the book of Job. And he sat there in the ashes and getting as close to to the Lord and worship because he says he worshiped him. Uh, and in all things, and they're looking at Job again. So looking at so Job was tempted. If you want to put it that way, the temptations of Job. He was put under a trial, 
and then, but then he, God wasn't going to put what was on him that he didn't know that God was going to be able, that Job was going to be able to withstand. That's why he said, have you considered my servant Job? And, and God is not going to put, a, according to that scripture, there is no temptation taking you, but, as, but such as is common unto men, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Whether you put that on temptations from the flesh, temptations from Satan and his emissaries, or, or trials, if you want to put it on the trials based on uh, James 1.12, the trials that come our way, God is not going to put more on you than you're able, unable to bear. What a blessing. And so you might be unbearable and you might go to God and you say, you know, in, in the heaviness of your temptation and in the, in the weight of that on your shoulder and you might go to God and you might plead and pray to God, God, this is more than I can bear. No, it's not. Based on that scripture there, God knows that he, and you should know that he's not going to put more than what you can bear and know that there is a purpose for this coming in your life if it's a trial. Sometimes the other things, you know, are brought upon ourselves when we're drawn away of our own lust. But I'm just saying, but he gives a way of escape there too. So even when we're tempted, so... If you want to put it on the temptations of Satan or temptations of the flesh, but we will with the temptation also make a way of escape. You know, we often, we men in Sunday school and conversation often talk about the second look, the billboards. Satan knows what the flesh, what draws us away. The lust of the eye, the pride of life. There's another one in there. And um, the lust of the eye and lust of the flesh, I think, and the pride of life. What tempts us, what draws us, what draws our attention, and he constantly puts it in front of our paths. You know, this, the whole, and I fall into it too. You know, the whole lottery thing, the Powerball jackpot is up to whatever billion dollars or multi-millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, the flesh says, <laughs> the flesh says, what would I do with that much money? You know, and then and you go off on this little tangent and so on and so forth. But in, in the circles of... <laughs> In the circles that I'm in, it's like, okay, so all of a sudden you come in with uh, several million dollars uh, and you put it in the, in the offering plate as your tithe. <clears throat> How'd you get that money? Well, I gambled for it, uh, brother. You know, like, oh, I can't, I can't. It'd be like, uh, it'd be like uh, Achan. He went and got that wedge of gold and uh, got that Babylonian garment and he couldn't use it. He couldn't wear the Babylonian garment because uh, then everybody know that he didn't. Uh, he took up the spoil, right? Uh, he couldn't go down to the bank with that wedge of gold because uh, where Achan? I know what kind of family you come in from. Well, where'd you get all this extra money from? Uh, I took up the spoil. But we know. Be sure your sin will find you out. It found Achan out. 
God killed Achan. God killed Achan's family. Be bad to you. You come into something by doing wrong, and then you can't expose it because you're a child of God and want to do right. So when those temptations and those that fleshly desires, the, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and you're pulled away, just know that there's a way out of it. You see the billboard, or you see the... The woman or you, whatever the, 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 the lust of the flesh that draws you away, there is a way of escape. We've just got to look for it based on 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The, you just look around. It could be turn it off. We pipe in a bunch of junk into our, te- into our homes via the television. We don't want to be around the sinful crowd, but the sinful crowd is there on our television. You know what? Click. They're cussing, they're carrying on, they're nudity, da-da-da-da. You feel it? I mean, just, you have a way of escape. It's called an on and off switch. Watch the weather. <laughs> you just got to find that way of escape. You got to seek and go to that way of escape. But he will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And so, so... Uh, lead us not into temptation. Look for the provision of escape. Look for the provisions that he gives you in the flesh to overcome the temptations that comes our way. He doesn't lead, he doesn't tempt you, like it says there in verse number, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But lead us not into temptations, but here it is, deliver us from evil. Look for the deliverance. This is a daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Pray pray daily that God would forgive you for any trespasses against him. Pray daily in your prayer that you are delivered from evil. You're delivered from the temptations that surround you. Lord, as I get up this morning, as I go out about by day... Keep the temptations from around me. Put a hedge about me like you did Job. Keep those things that would draw my flesh away from serving you to eat, to do evil. And just pray along those lines there. So again, let's just read back through the, the passage here. Back at verse number 9. And after this manner, therefore, pray ye... Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And again, the kingdom, there's two kingdoms, kingdom of God and kingdom of, for, for the Hinckley's sake, kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And as we read there in uh, the kingdom of God is within you in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. And the kingdom of heaven is... According to John chapter 18 in Discourse with Pilate, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Okay, so so there is a kingdom of God which is within us and a kingdom of heaven that is in heaven, but there will be a kingdom, an earthly kingdom uh, set up. Uh, for a thousand years 
uh, in the millennial reign of Christ. But that's what, the, that's what they were looking for. So, um, thy kingdom come. We're still to pray for thy kingdom to come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I didn't dwell much on the will of God, but we need to pray along those the lines in the fact that his will, we kind of address that, the will of God in purchasing, the will of God in every aspect of our lives. He knows what's best for us. And again, that goes back to, you know, Brother Rains' famous little saying that he's preached all over the place, God loves us too much to do us wrong, and he's too wise to make a mistake. And if you will seek him, allow him to direct your paths, seek his will in your life, he's going he's to do what's best for you. Thy will be done. That should be a desire of all of our hearts. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus Christ being the example of that. That was his prayer in the garden. Thy will be done. And thy will for the, the, the God the Father's will for Jesus Christ the Son, God the Son's life was to, for him to go to the cross. And there's where he said, nevertheless, thy will. He asked, prayed for deliverance in the humanity of Christ, but he accepted God, the Father's will, to be done in his life. Even And he went to the day, he died the death, even the death of the cross. And that was God's will for his life. You say, that's a little foreign. And there may be times that God... I don't understand it all, things that come our way in God's will, except for the fact that other passages of scriptures we could turn to, the fact that, you know, and, and again, Romans chapter 8 is what a lot of people, and, and people question Romans chapter 8 when it says, uh, and people quote it all the time, but I like to add to the verses that's there too. People quote, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And, and we just leave it there. But there's more to that. And, 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 and in that, people question, how do we know that all things work together? How that this tragedy or this sickness or this event or this whatever in my life, how can that, how can we know that all things work together for good? How is that good? How is that in my life good? How does it work together? If you keep on reading, he explains it. For whom he did foreknow, he also did for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, again, if he's, we sing the song, he's still working on me, and, and we're being conformed to his Son, that his Son suffered. And then Peter says that we would enter into his sufferings, and many of the disciples did enter into his sufferings. But, but in conform, being conformed to the image of his son, to be made like him through the trials. 
and through the temptations in, in the trials in that, in that respect, the temptations of the trials in that respect, we think about, uh, again, going back to the psalmist. <laughs> when we're tried, we shall come forth as gold. Well, the purity of the gold and, and, and to purify gold, you have to put it under the fiery trial. And in that fiery trial, it's during that time, whether it's sickness or whether it's pain or tragedy or events that we don't understand, if we will put it in the context of we're being conformed to the image of his son and his son suffered, and then through our sufferings we're being conformed, just like that gold, we shall come forth as gold, then when they put the gold into the fire, and I've seen videos of, of smelters when, you know, you're putting some serious heat to this, this little crucible that's melting metal. And you see them make the form, and then they'll pour the, the, the metal into the form, and then, you know, it, it, it conforms to that image. That's exactly the, if If he's working, he's getting the impurities out. He has to put, the, put us under the fiery trials so that the dross comes to the top and is scraped off, so that when we're put into the form and we come forth as gold, we come forth in the image of Christ. We don't understand all the trials and all the heartaches and all the pain and suffering. Sometimes we, we did, but if you keep it in the right context and understand that Christ prayed for deliverance, but he also prayed, not thy will, but thine I will, but thine be done. Uh, and then I got off preaching some more. <laughs> so give us this day. Let's see. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgave, forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, again, we can just finish up this, our daily provision. We pray for our daily bread, our daily pardon, in the fact of forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then, right there at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, our daily praise. In our prayers, we're to pray for our daily provision, our daily, our daily pardon, and praise should be upon our lips. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Everything in our lives should be to the glory of God. And our prayers should be to the glory. When we're asking for things, give us this day our daily bread, just like last night when I prayed for Lisa, and God answered the prayer within minutes. Again, not making reference to anything, but I'm just praising God. She said, thank you, Lord. And I said, that's what we're going to do. We bowed our heads again. And Heavenly Father, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. Because we couldn't have done it without you. We couldn't answer that prayer. You're the one that gave the answer to the prayer. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And so our daily, uh, our daily pardon, uh, provision, our daily pardon, and our praise should be daily as well. We should give him the praise and the glory. Forever. And that's exactly what our lives, 
I was wondering in, in all that too, do our lives, why were we created in the first place? The Bible says that Jesus created us. All things were created by him and for him. And he's, he's got creatures in heaven that gives him praise 24-7. Holy, holy, holy. So if, if we as creation are to be created for his glory, for his honor, for his praise, then our daily prayers should be to the same. 